Test, test, test. Run it down from the one, two, three. Sometimes cultures get like a bad rap, you know, I mean, like looking from the outside and people uh, judge them harshly and all you really needed is like one significant event to change the face of that. In a lot of ways, the change from hillbilly to cowboy was really thanks to one man. We're going to talk about that man tonight. Thank you for listening to Dude Check Out This Song. I'm Ian. I'm Pat. And yes, today we are talking about the country great Jimmy Rogers. Oh, yes. The singing break, man. Oh, like, yeah. This guy's awesome. I don't know if you guys, you know, you got, if you guys know anything you know about the singing break, man, obviously, right? I didn't tell no, we yeah. started doing this podcast. Yeah, no, it's, it's not really something that a lot of people know about. There's, uh, I think, a poster in a movie. I think in Oh Brother, We're At Thou, there's like a poster of him somewhere or something like that. Oh, really? I know one of his songs is rewritten into to the movie itself, but that's about the closest I think you're going to get to any sort of pop references to this gentleman, despite how like famous he was, really. Well, he kind of had a short career, though, too. So, And so let's get right to the beginning. Jimmy Rogers was born. James Charles Rogers on September 8th, 1987 in Meridian, Mississippi. He was also known as the Singing Brakeman, America's Blue Yodeler, and the father of country music. Woo-wee. That's a that's such a the father of country music. Have we had a father of country music yet? Nope. This is the first one. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> this is the I'm only just trying one. to make sure we don't have any conflicting <laughs> uh, titles here because we've had like the king of something, the empress of this, and the, yeah. the queen of that. I want to keep track of these. We can't be having no two kings of the same thing. Now, well, considering he pretty much invented country music, I'm sure father of country music is pretty suiting. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. And so he was the youngest of three boys, possibly more. Jimmy's father, Aaron Rodgers. No, not the football player. Don't get so excited. <laughs> yeah, the, the timeline doesn't work out for that, guys. Not quite. He was an itinerant maintenance foreman on the Mobile and Ohio Railroad. And his mother could not find a name for her. She died when Jimmy was uh, around the age four to seven. Yikes. And because of his mom's death, and his father traveled so much for work, Jimmy and his older brother, but not his oldest. He was already working by then. They had to move in with his aunt, his mother's sister, a former teacher who had degrees in music and English. So oh, obviously that's yeah. where it starts right yeah, there. So obviously he learned a lot of music from her. Yeah, a little nourishment goes a long way. Yeah. And so at the age of 12, he sang Steamboat Bill for a talent show and he actually won. Hell yeah, he did. Giving him his first taste of fame. Oh, yes. The singing brakeman has begun. <laughs> and so by the age of 13, he had twice organized traveling shows, only to be brought back by his father. The first time, he stole some of his sister-in-law's bedsheets to make a crude tent. Upon his return to Meridian, he paid for the sheets with the money he made from his shows. <laughs> the second time... 
he charged to his father, without his father's knowledge, an expensive canvas tent. Oh, shit. <laughs> Did so, he pay this one back on return? I couldn't find any information about oh, that. Oh, you better have. You, you you set the precedence the first time around. But at the age of 14, his father gave him an ultimatum, either to continue with school or go to work on the railroad. And Jimmy chose the railroad and became a water carrier for his father's train gang. Ah, well, I mean, that's the times. Different times. Like, hey, at 14, like, hey, you're old enough to get a job. You really want to stick around in school? Yeah. <laughs> you seem to be pretty good at this music thing. How good are you at trains? Well, I mean, honestly, like, that's the sort of thing, though. If you get in a career young and, you know, in that sort of thing, you're just kind of there forever. Or unless you're super famous brakeman singing guy. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> we'll we'll right. get to that. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm overstepping my bounds here. By all means, Ian, continue. Well, it, well, and so it was here. Jimmy learned to play banjo guitar and even the ukulele. Also learned train songs, barroom ballads, slave songs, and blues tunes from other railway men. And a lot of those including African-Americans, you know, which, you know, gave him just a whole range of music to learn from. Yeah, and I, which is actually surprising for the time. A lot of his music, which included the yodeling portions, was fairly popular with African-Americans, which I wasn't expecting because yeah, I mean, it's it was, yodeling. Yeah, and country music. I mean, they're... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll get a little more. We'll get a little more into this. It's yeah. It, there is a weird like connection there that seems weird, but it surprisingly does work. And it is the South. I mean, we can't. This is the South in the you know the teens. Let's be honest. I mean, it really proves that people are people, no matter what. If you like yodeling, you like yodeling. Music's music, man. <laughs> it brings people together. And Jimmy held many jobs with the railroad, including baggage master, flagman, and eventually becoming a brakeman on the New Orleans and Northeastern Railroad, a position his oldest brother, Walter, secured for him. That sounds pretty cool. I mean, so I assume that's like a good job, the brakeman. Well, so the brakeman was a member of the railroad train crew, obviously, and his main responsibility was for assisting with braking when a train conductor wanted to stop the train or slow it down. Yeah, I kind of got that portion, the brakeman. He pulls the brakes. But also their duties included ensuring that couplings between cars were properly set, lining switches, signaling to the train operators while performing switches during operations. The brakeman actually rode in the caboose, the last car in the train, obviously. Yeah, caboose, right? And, you know, it was specifically built to allow for a crewman to apply the brakes of the caboose quickly and easily, stopping the train, right? Yes, During the early days of railroading, though, being a brakeman was one of the deadliest jobs in America because they even had to work on top of the train while it was moving in all types of weather. Oh, shit. That's some Batman stuff. Yeah. That's crazy. So, yeah, they were kind of like the, you know, they help brake, you know, switch tracks and do all that kind of stuff. So, you know. That's like an active, pretty dangerous job then. Yeah. It is, it's no cushy position, but I should sure, no, no. sure assume mean, it paid well. Because back then, working on the railroad wasn't a cushy job, to be, unless you were the conductor. Yeah, yeah, and then I'm sure that even was But you had to really it. pay your dues to become a conductor. Yeah, I would assume so. That just seems like the funnest job, though, conducting a train. <laughs> In May 1917, he married Sandra Kelly, whom he'd only known for a couple of weeks. Well, yeah, you're a brakeman now. You can live that life, live on the wild side. By fall that same year, they were separated, even though she was pregnant. Oh, well, you also live that brakeman life where you got (laughs) to be on a train all the time. And two years later, they were officially divorced. 
Living that Brakeman life, officially divorced. <laughs> <laughs> and the daughter that they had would eventually die in 1938. Oh, okay, that's sad. Yeah, I couldn't find a reason, but it looks like she was about 20. Oh, that's that's really sad. Yeah, well, doesn't get much happier from here. I mean, it gets a little happier, then it goes back down. Well, what year did you say she died? 1938, and they were married in 1917, and she was pregnant. In 1917, in the fall. Ah, that's that's so a shame. about 20. Yeah, so his daughter lives through most of his big career years, though. Yeah. Yeah. But she doesn't really get mentioned a whole lot, so I don't know if he was that great of a father. I don't know. It, yeah, yeah, like maybe it, when the separation happened, it didn't, you know. It was complete separation. Yeah, that, that sucks. Also around the same time of his divorce, Jimmy met Carrie Williamson, a high school student and preacher's daughter. Uh, number two? Number two. Oh, there's number two. They married in April 1920 while she was still in school. Ah, of course. Shortly after their marriage, though, Jimmy was laid off by the New Orleans and Northeastern Railroad Company. Oh, I thought, damn it, Brakeman job. You were supposed <laughs> to be good. I was risking my life out there. Now I'm laid off. I don't know. Apparently business was slow. Yeah. Or training. The trains were slow. I don't know. I'm... <laughs> and so because of this, he started taking random blue collar jobs, you know, digging ditches, whatever. And really just traveling around and singing wherever he could. It was on the road singing, though, when he found out that their second daughter, who was only six months old, had died of diphtheria. Oh, my God. That is that is terrible. Yeah, it's pretty sad. If you don't know what diphtheria is... I have no idea. Please. Diphtheria causes a thick covering in the back of the throat. It can lead to difficulty breathing, heart failure, paralysis, and even death. Thank God there's a vaccine for it nowadays. Oh, that is, that is terrible. I think I actually had some diphtheria after drinking too much a couple times. I'm not sure if that's how it works. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's dehydration. Oh, right. <laughs> Starts with a D, though. Yeah, something like that. I got, I'm going to say that now, though. I have diphtheria. And nobody will even know what the hell you're talking yeah, about. They're going to Google it and be like, oh, my God, he's going to die in the 30s as an infant. <laughs> Damn, that joke is cold. But, you know, it was during these times while he was traveling around playing where he really developed his distinctive yodel, and he really increased his guitar skills. Oh, yes. That fucking yodel. Oh, yes. So, uh, every time we kind of get into somebody, I don't like to dig too much into somebody specifically. I like to get into what they really got into, you know, really see if we can find out, like, kind of what inspired him and what really made him tick. Yodeling is, like, honestly what the Singing Breakman's thing is. Yeah. So I kind of uncovered this little theory slash, I guess you would call it like an economic slash sociological change that that went over like uh, people of Appalachia and their style of music at the time. Okay. So apparently there was a lot of negative connotations that was initially described with being hillbillies and playing hillbilly music. All right. Nobody liked that. Like obviously, because yeah, those are hillbillies, and it's hillbilly deranged, you know, blah blah blah. And there's probably a little racism because a lot of those hillbillies were Irishmen too. So I don't know if any of you guys know, but the actual cowboys that everybody knows from pop culture were really, really a thing. The way they're described and like you know, romanced, that really didn't happen. The jobs that were quote unquote cowboys are like long-range, like, herding men who just herded cattle all day. <laughs> and, like, one of the things that they would do... You mean hence cowboy? Yeah, hence cowboy. And one of the things that cowboys would do, since they uh, often couldn't even carry, like, a small instrument or they would lose their small instrument, they would 
Yodel. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so this transferred over to the popularity of cowboys and the popularity of yodeling and the redemption of the hillbilly all in one big thing. So essentially everybody started romanticizing the cowboy and the riding the rails with these hillbilly yodels. And the hillbilly quote unquote genre immediately became the now respectable country genre, which is I think referred to as the yodeling cowboy or hold on. It's referred to as the Blue Yodel, the American version of Alpine yodeling. Well, the American Blue Yodeler was one of his nicknames. Exactly, and uh, Blue Yodel is one of his, like one of the actual like tracks that he did because he does Blue, oh, yeah. Blue to Yodel number one through whatever. And... Oh, we'll get to that. So, were you saying though that they kind of confused cowboys and hillbillies and kind of mixed them together? Well, what I'm saying is the cowboys that we now romanticize in pop culture was the hillbilly music and the yodeling kind of coming together and the hillbillies suddenly becoming socially acceptable by no longer being like country music is no longer hillbilly music. Right. It's cowboy music. Now, and it's now romance. bluegrass takes that over as hillbilly exactly. music. So bluegrass yeah. remained in the thing that it always was. And you never like the, the change wasn't much, you know, like the yodeling was already kind of just like, but the romanticized, you know, the clip clop where they started using the clop, clop, clop kind of thing. This all, re- all started just rolling right out of this, which just made that hillbilly music into this whole new cowboy genre that eventually became like real country for like modern era country, I should say. Right. Uh, a gentleman who, who, oh my God, we refer to this dude so much, but John Lomax. What? That guy? <laughs> yeah, that guy. I don't know if you've listened to any episodes of our show, but he's in almost every single one, him or his son. But yeah, uh, he, I think we've mentioned him probably in at least 75% of our episodes. He said, I couldn't have been more than four years old when I first heard the yodeling cowboy sing to his cattle. I was sleeping in my father's cabin in Texas, and the cowboys drove the cattle along, and they sang, and they called, and they yodeled at them. They made up these songs about the trail life. So, yeah, really, he gets the blue yodel from him being the very first and the first to be highly successful in this cowboy yodel. And it was with a track that in 1929 called The Land of My Boyhood Dreams, I think. Yeah, The Land of My Boyhood Dreams in 1929. And that's labeled as being like the cowboy yodel, like very first and the creation of the genre. But it's really just the extension of the other genre itself. Apparently, even Jack Guthrie, Woody Guthrie's cousin. Yeah. was known as uh he has a really funny nickname he was known as oklahoma's yodeling cowboy <laughs> so you know you take that or leave that as you were uh, yodeling cowboy while now sounds kind of silly and cartoony i think it was supposed to be more like badass you know yodelo <laughs> I, I don't know maybe it was supposed to be badass either way it ended up being when done right though it sounds really awesome yeah but this is actually, I think, the entry point for a lot of mainstay yodeling that even goes into our culture. And there's some weird-ass yodeling that I found. You know instances of yodeling that I know about that I never even thought of? Like the Lion King, a Weemawep, a Weemawep song? Yeah. The, oh, like, yeah. that's considered yodeling, even though it was done by this South African guy in a song called Mbibe or Mbebe, spelled M-B-U-B-E. Nobody really cared about the tune, and it wasn't really particularly good. I don't know if anybody's really listened to that song, but... 
From the Lion King? Yes. So, okay. But I think on. a lot of people listen yes. to that one. So a lot of people have heard this, but originally people didn't really care for the song until one version, the uh, vocalist, just straight up wings the... Like that. that Nailed like, it. Yeah. Because uh, I'm totally like great at that portion of vocalization, but... Uh, <laughs> People uh, got that version and they recorded it, and because of that thing, it became like a highly popular song. It was redone a bunch of times. I found a bunch of really great versions of the song just kind of trolling through. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's my uh, that'll be my first do check out this song is just go check out a whole bunch of versions of M B U B E. Uh, it's that the Lion King song. I mean, there's there's lots of really cool ones, and then it gets changed to a bunch of other names, and I'm sure you'll find it if you uh, you know look. And lastly, just for a little cherry on top, the inspiration for Tarzan, his yell, completely yodel. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, the, oh, 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 oh. yeah that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so it, they some or somebody on set wanted a uh, like a victory or the novel called for a victorious uh, like call of a male chimpanzee or something like that. And they and, went with a yodel. And they went with oh. <laughs> like I can't even do it, obviously, because I'm not a yodeler, and that would that would really probably hurt my throat. It actually hurts just thinking about it. All right, so now getting back to Jimmy's life. At the age of 27, he contracted tuberculosis. Motherfucking tuberculosis. This may have led to his layoff. Is now really certain, you know. So I think it had something to do with it, but who really knows? Because that's still pretty contagious at that point, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I know nowadays you still have to kind of get tuberculosis shots if you're in certain like healthcare positions and things like that. Well, and so if you don't know what tuberculosis is, it's a bacteria that usually attacks the lungs. It can damage other parts of the body, but it's spread through the air when a person with TB coughs, sneezes, or talks. Maybe sings. Yep, especially sings. <laughs> can you imagine using his mic after him? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the typhoid brakeman is what they should have called him. <laughs> and so instead of heeding the doctor's warning about the seriousness of tuberculosis, <laughs> he checked himself out of the hospital, and he organized a traveling roadshow. Oh, dude. And he performed across the southeast until a cyclone destroyed his tent. Motherfuck. Yeah, and by this time, I'm thinking, destroyed his tent. Why would that stop him? Well, I'm thinking traveling shows, you know, they traveled around to the tent. That was their home always. And so, you know, once his home was destroyed, it's like, well, guess I can't do that anymore. Yep, my tent's gone. I'm done. And so he returned to the railroad, worked as a brakeman on the east coast of Florida. But eventually, his illness cost him his job again. Oh, my God, dude. What, he probably not tell him again? Probably not. Yeah. He probably was just like, oh, yeah, I was a brakeman for a good long time in my life. I can do it. I'm the singing brakeman. You guys want to <laughs> hear they, me sing? <laughs> and then he coughed on everybody. And like, go, go. <laughs> half, the, half the real yard has TB now. Get out of here. <laughs> so after losing his job in Florida, he decided to move his family out to Tucson, Arizona, believing the arid climate would improve his health. You know, yeah. dry air, you know, probably not so bad for the lungs, right? In Tucson, he would also work for the railroad, but he also started singing at clubs and events. After a while, though, these extracurricular activities didn't sit too well with the railroad, and they fired him. He lasted less than a year at this job. God, dude's getting fired all over the place. Yeah, and so he ended up moving back in with Carrie's parents in Meriden, Mississippi. But shortly after that, he traveled to Asheville, North Carolina. 
Leaving his family there. Of course, the yeah. Leaving your family behind is always the best idea. At least he's not coughing all over yeah, him, I he's guess. pulling a page from Woody Guthrie. Yeah, I guess he is, that's for sure. Or is Woody Guthrie pulling a page from him? I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> I don't even know at this point. Is are, are they just pulling a page out of any of the other people's books who we've talked about in this series? <laughs> Jesus Christ. And so, in North Carolina, Jimmy was trying to work on the railroads, but his health was so poor he couldn't handle the labor anymore, and he would never work on the rails again. Oh, Yeah, so he became break, a... Man. So he became a janitor and a cab driver. Singing cab driver. <laughs> doesn't have quite the ring to it. No, it really doesn't. And I guess the uniform's not as cool either. You think he told people about it while he's driving around? Like, hey, I'm the singing brakeman. Well, he wasn't known at the singing brakeman at this point. Oh, he wasn't at this no, point? No, not oh, at this it. point. That's interesting. Well, he never recorded. You know, it just performed for, you know, a few town. Well, probably a lot of towns, but, you know, it did, didn't have what national year popularity. What right now? 1927. 1927. Yeah, this is right before... Uh, right before he breaks through. Yeah, all right. Well, hit us up with it, daddy-o. So in February 1927, Asheville's first radio station, WWNC, went on the air. I liked how you did that. That was cool. <laughs> Smooth, right? And on April 18th, Jimmy and some guy named Otis Koykendall, K-U-Y-K-E-N-D-A-L-L, I looked him up, couldn't find any information on him. They performed for the first time on the station. And so, you know, he started doing that, getting a name for himself, ended up recruiting a band from Tennessee called the Teneva Ramblers. Teneva Ramblers? And they secured a weekly slot on the station as the Jimmy Rogers Entertainers. Ooh, you start naming bands after yourself. That's when we're doing good. And one columnist for the Asheville Times even said, whoever that fellow is, he is either a winner or he's going to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Going straight to the top. Straight to the top. So in late July 1927, Rogers' bandmates, the Tenova Ramblers, discovered that Ralph Peer of the Victor Talking Machine Company. Oh, yes. Good old Victor. Discovered that he was going to Bristol, Tennessee to record musicians of the area. Being from there, they knew where to go. And they went there to, you know, try out. All right. The group arrived on August 3rd and auditioned for Pierre, who agreed to record for them the next day. That night, the band got in an argument about how it would be billed on the recording. And at the end of this fight, Jimmy said to them, all right. I'll just sing it by myself. Wow. This also is another story that I think we've heard before or I've heard before or I feel like happens a million times. Didn't we just talk about this a couple episodes ago? Somebody's <laughs> band or they broke up right before. I'm trying to remember who that was. Either way, that's a that's that's such a common was thing. Was it the Charlie Poole episode? It very well might have been the Charlie Poole episode. Now I'm going to have to go back and take a look. But either way. That just seems all too common where nobody can decide on the last night and just one person shows up like, fuck it, I'm going to record anyways. Well, that guy, by the way, is always the star. <laughs> well, so on August 4th, the next day, Jimmy Rogers records two songs, Sleep Baby Sleep and The Soldier's Sweetheart by himself. Oh, yes. And for these recordings, he receives $100. Oh, rolling in the $100. How many times have we covered artists who their first recordings get $100? This must be like a standard flat fee at this time. Yeah, here's 100 bucks, dude. It's three digits. And here's my first dude check out this song. 
Sleep Baby Sleep, and The Soldier Sweetheart. Sleep Baby Sleep really covers his real range on yodeling, and The Soldier Sweetheart is just an awesome song, so you got to listen to it. The recordings were released on October 7th, 1927, to moderate success, at least enough for the Victor Talking Company to want to record again. So he went up to Camden, New Jersey, and they recorded him. He did four songs out of this session. Ben Dewberry's final run, Mother Was a Lady, A Way Out on the Mountain, and T for Texas. Now, T for Texas was renamed to Blue Yodel. Good old Blue Yodel, which eventually became the whole genre. Yeah. Also, you know, earning him his first nickname. And Blue Yodel was one of a very few early country songs that sold over a million copies. Now, it took two years to sell that, but this is really what led to Jimmy's success was Blue Yodel. He would end up going on to record 14 variations of that song. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, like I said, is it all Blue Yodel number whatever? Because I know he's like a couple of the songs is one of the ones. I'm in pretty the- sure he numbers it like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, all the way up to 14. Yeah, because in 1929, he's in a short film uh, where he plays three songs for some old ladies at a train stop or a bus stop. And uh, it's a really cool video, but he call like he calls one a different name, T for Texas, instead of the it's like blue yodel number yeah t for texas got changed to blue yodel oh okay yeah so it is the the so i, I assume they kind of all have alternate names yeah as, as from n- what i can tell every blue yodel song had kind of an alternate name to it okay so that's like his anthology then so he's kind of like an is that like the classical composer thing now that i think about it like he's uh, like beethoven's like <laughs> so this is my 13th symphony this is my blue yodel number four in a minor I imagine it was the recording companies trying to get money off the name of the song. Maybe. Or just, buy, yeah, I don't know. Buy themselves more cred off their old cred, maybe. I don't know. It's, All right. It's, it's weird. So, dude, check out Away on the Mountain and Blue Yodel. Blue Yodel, number one through nine or 11 or 12. There's some good ones. We'll highlight them. And, you know, with Blue Yodel gaining success in 1928, slowly, yeah, I mean, it, This song really did propel him into fame, but slowly he went on to record more songs, record more singles, Blue Yodel number four, waiting for a train in the jailhouse now, you know, but at this point he really started experimenting with backing bands in the studio. This included a jazz group that featured Louis Armstrong. Oh yeah. Blue Yodel number nine. Oh yeah. And that was actually also known as standing on a corner, standing on the corner. He recorded with orchestras. He even recorded with a Hawaiian combo. <laughs> and that song was called Everybody Does It in Hawaii. But he calls it Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii. <laughs> Throughout the entire song. Everybody I was listening does to it. it in Hawaii. Yeah, everybody does it in Hawaii. Oh, that must have been so amazing for the backing group. They're like, he's not even saying the name right. Shut <laughs> up. He's giving us money. <laughs> and so, of course, you know, I got a new, another dude check out this song. Blue Yodel number nine, you know, the one with Louis Armstrong. It's actually pretty excellent to see how jazz mixed with you know, country at the time. It was really cool. It's kind of a sweet mixed with spicy combination for music, and it really works. Yeah, like it works it. out really well. Waiting for the Train and In the Jailhouse Now are two really excellent songs. And so with the successes, he toured widely in the South. Mainly he did this because he wanted dry climates, you know, for his health. Duh. Eventually settling in Texas 
you know, which he became intimately associated with, you know, the cowboy, you know, yeah. kind of imagery there. The yodeling cowboy that we talked about previously. Yep, exactly. Also in 1929, he made a movie called The Singing Brakeman. Is this when he gets the name? This is when he gets the name. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of funny because he actually, like, messes up when he's filming this movie. We already talked about this a little bit. He he play, he stops and plays three songs for a couple of old ladies. When he confusedly keeps, like, he talks down to one of the ladies a few times, but oh, I think no. it's just, like, a turn of phrase that I'm missing there. But he's just like, he's real like, like, she'll be like, hey, will you play my favorite song? And he'll turn around and be like, yeah, well, where's my coffee? And it's essentially Ooh. like, yeah, like he just said, like, where's my coffee now, miss, or something like that. Maybe like, that was comedy for 1929. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's comedy or just the way that people still talk to women or whatever it is. But I'm just like, what? What? That's confusing. She just is like, she's telling you how great your music is and wants to hear the next great song of her favorite. And you're like, yeah, Have you give me anything yet. Either way. He messes up during this scene and, and uh, where they, it really shows the separation of the character and the man. And uh, a few people actually end up noticing was that here he's wearing nice shoes and, and uh, silk uh, socks with his uh, uniform. Oh, so he can't not, do that. Yeah, he's not in his full, uh, like, singing Brakeman uniform. And oh, people were, Brakeman. I don't know if there was an actual job title for singing Brakeman. Well, I, <laughs> I assume he's not a uniform for it either. But, yeah, his Brakeman uniform, like, so people would later uh, catch eye of this and make note of it, and it really oh, showed no. the separation. Oh, man. Well, almost like Continuity a, is broken. I, I cannot bo- believe this. He was not a, he wasn't even really a Brakeman anymore. <laughs> ah. Oh, my God. And so because of this movie, though, this is really what propelled him to stardom. You know, he had the money rolling in. Things were going good, except for his health, of course. It just kept getting worse. And being a star, you know, it was pretty stressful. And along with this stress, like everybody we cover around this area, the Great Depression hits. But he actually does something kind of cool with this. Along with Will Rogers... Jimmy Rogers sets up a fundraising tour for the Red Cross that were designed specifically to help people who are suffering from the Great Depression. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, how how awesome is that? That is really cool, especially in that era. That's like you're that's not just you're doing a little charity on the side. That's your whole life. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, by 1931, he would be feeling the effects of the Great Depression. His concert bookings decreased dramatically. And his record just pretty much completely stopped selling. God, that's so terrible. Even worse, his health was getting so bad. What bookings he did get, he had to cut a bunch of those just because, you know, it was so bad. And in 1933, he was even forced to cancel plans for several more films. Oh, my God. That is such a terrible, like, combination. Like, you're getting sick and you could possibly work in a time when people aren't getting work, but you can't work because you're sick. Yeah. That's like a catch-22 that's just like, oh, it's fucking terrible. And he he was addicted to this life despite his health declining. He even told his wife, I want to die with my shoes on. Oh, yes. I want to die with my shoes on. That's a, that's a quote that goes on for through a lot of people's music. and Die with my shoes on, die with my boots on. Yeah, you know? I, I know Bob Dylan himself makes I want to die with my shoes on a reference. I don't know about anyone's like, off the top of my head, but I guarantee it's the imagery is repeated so many times. Oh, yeah. I mean, Iron Maiden does a song called Die With My Boots On. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure that a lot of that has to do with like a, like military combat, too. So I'm not sure that who... Could, that one could be. I'm not sure who like, 
started coining that first. This is not a uh, research podcast about where nomenclatures but, are. Well, Wait it is till kind next of spring. It is kind of a saying like you know I want to die doing my thing. You know yeah, I want to exactly. die living my life. Yeah, exactly. Well, and so with money running short, though, he would essentially take whatever shows that he could actually, you know, be able to play. You know, this includes vaudevilles and even Nickelodeons. Oh, like the original ones, the little, the little small Nickelodeons. Or well, the... it's kind of. I mean, the originals were like for movies and stuff like that, in like you know, small indoor space. You know, not really a movie theater. Yeah, and th- they were most popular between 1905 and 1915. But it seems like they kind of, you know, started adding music and stuff to it. But they only cost a nickel, hence Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the origin of that kid's channel. Yeah, well, when I saw that, I had to look it up just because I was like, oh, I didn't realize that came from something else. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a weird, like, fantastical name. You wouldn't think it would be, like, an actual thing. But then when you realize it's a fantastical invention from the 30s, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. In May 1933... Rogers traveled to New York for a recording session. He completed four songs on his first take, but there was no question that Rogers was running out of steam. Choo-choo. <laughs> Sad choo-choos. When he returned to the studio after a day's rest, he had to record sitting down and soon retreated to his hotel, hoping to regain enough energy to finish the songs he'd been rehearsing. The recording engineer hired two session musicians to help Rogers when he came back to the studio a few days later. Together, they recorded a few songs. One of these songs, including Mississippi Delta Blues, I got really excited. I thought it was a Delta Blues song. No, it's a country song about the Delta. (laughs) And for his last song of the session, Jimmy recorded years ago. All throughout the session, though, Jimmy had to have a nurse in the studio with him. And he had to rest on the cot between songs. That's so sad. Yeah. So my last dude check out the song years ago. The last song Jimmy would ever record. Two days after this session, on May 26, 1933, Rogers died of a lung hemorrhage. Oh, lung hemorrhage. That sounds like it's probably 100% tuberculosis related, yeah? yeah it just sounds like you're just... Yeah, coughing till you die. Yeah, that's not that's not good. That's not a good way to go. That also probably has to do with him like pushing his lungs so hard and stuff like that. Well, he never got it treated either. Yeah, that's that's so. And terrible. he's saying he's saying he had a lung disease and he just kept singing. Yeah, well, that's that's just plain rough right there. So his body was put on a train, taken back to Meridian. He was riding in a converted baggage car. Hundreds of fans were waiting for his body to arrive in Meridian. The train across the entire journey just whistling the entire time. Oh, that's very cute, though. People were waving to the train as it went by. That's a that's a fitting end, though. That's Yeah, well, when his body finally arrived, it lay in wait while hundreds, if not thousands, of people paid tribute to Jamie Rogers. Well, that's good. That's That makes me feel a little bit better, especially like the whole like train ending. You can almost see like the movie ending. You know what I mean? Like the roll in the roll credits and it's like choo choo. And you see his little, yeah. you know, his little uh, funeral car on the train. Yeah. Perfect little movie ending. Yeah. I, I like it. Yeah. He was well, buried. I don't like it, but <laughs> he was buried in Oak Grove Cemetery in Meridian, Mississippi. Jimmy was the first person to be inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, though, in 1961. 
Wait, so the very first person to ever be inducted in the country? Ever. That's fucking the, awesome. The very first person. Now, that's that's a pin in your fucking hat right there. Yeah. Unfortunately, is posthumously, you know, but... Well, yeah, but... I almost mean, 30 years later after his death. Yeah, but the, if it wasn't even invented for 30 years, all right, I'll give yeah. you that. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's still number one. It don't matter, baby. He even made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1986. That's awesome. Well, Ian, I, I would say that if anybody really deserves the last thoughts, it's got to be Jimmy Rogers, right? I think so. So let's let's think about Jimmy Rogers for a second. We already talked a little bit about like the sociological change of hillbilly music and how that was really accelerated by the the cowboy yodel kind of persona and how that really not just changed hillbilly music or country music, but all of our pop like perceptions from here on out. Right. We've covered a lot of people who have a lot of clout within, like, folklore. You know what I mean? They have a lot of weight to throw around with their folk legends. We've got people in the previous two seasons that are, you know, sold their soul to the devil and killed people and spent years in prison. But how often do we really get somebody who influenced so many people in an innocent sort of way? Not just that. He... Like his legend is kind of he kind of sang himself to death if you think about it. Yeah, and I mean, sure, it's a little it's a little painful with the tuberculosis and you know a little a little bit shade assholey with leaving your family behind and stuff like that. Yeah, but, but if you really think about like the singing breakman and what it really mattered, like how he he was supposed to be in movies and he was something that not only young people and old people liked, but also, you know, black people and white people and all types of people were clearly okay with this new shift. Right. People who weren't included before. And so it it really brought the, like, it brought the music scale to a more inclusive thing and to more people across the country, which I think really helped with his overall popularity. I would assume that's got to be how he was selling millions of records. You know, all types of people were really focusing on his music. Oh, yeah. had never focused on it before. So, you know, maybe uh, take, a, take, a little, take a little key from Mr. Jimmy Rogers. Be more inclusive and you have more fans. Right. And even over his career, which only lasted six years, he wrote 110 songs. Woo, that's a lot of music. Or at least recorded. I don't know if he wrote them all, but, yeah, you know, he yeah. recorded 110. It's folk, it's folk music. Years. They do a lot of, like, traditionals and stuff, so he definitely didn't write all of them. But, but that's a lot of songs to do in six years on top of making a movie and traveling and playing live. I mean... And having tuberculosis. And having tuberculosis. Yeah, that's, a, that's, quite, a, uh, that's quite an overcoming. Yeah, and this guy even influenced so many artists, you know, some of the big ones, you know, names that... I personally listen to like Ernest Tubbs, Hank Williams, Lefty Fritzel, Merle Haggard. I mean, yeah, just those names right there. Woody I mean, Guthrie. We already talked about Woody Guthrie. You know how much we like him. Yeah. Woody Guthrie is highly inspired by the singing Brakeman. I mean, just as yeah, exactly. He inspired so many musicians. That's amazing. Yeah, and that's that's really what it is. And his folk legend is not not tarnished really. Like, everybody else's comes with, like, something dark, something bad, something gritty, where I really feel like his is, while having those little dingy portions... Which, I mean, he's a human. He's not yeah, going to be perfect. Every, yeah, they're all human. But his is honestly just wholesome. Yeah. He even, you know, put together shows that was specifically designed to get money for poor people who were suffering during the Great Depression. Yeah, exactly. How like, amazing is that? Yeah, that is, that is just... 
it's it's a nice change compared to all we deal with a lot of selfish people in this podcast when we're going over these people it's nice to see somebody who really while of course you know all people are selfish and i'm sure if you dig enough you could find times jimmy rogers was selfish you can probably find that for anybody in the planet but overall the message that we still have that folklore token that that what we still have left of him god damn that's that's shiny and glittery it's damn right pretty you know yeah it's a singing brakeman. Yeah, it, this is the first episode I think that we've ever covered where there wasn't like excessive partying, you know, no drinking, no like fighting. Multiple times when you were like, and then okay, or okay, and then now we start talking about this. I was always expecting, and this is when the singing brakeman started ramming heroin and punching hookers or whatever, <laughs> and it just never came. And I'm so happy about that. Yeah, the guy just really at the end of the day, he just wanted to work. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Think about it. He was a brakeman, got laid off, possibly caused by his tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then he traveled around and sang. And <laughs> then got laid off from that because of tuberculosis. Well, it, it, still the crazy thing is, is he went around and sang with tuberculosis, potentially giving it to a bunch of people. But I don't think they even knew back in this day how it spread. Yeah, so, I mean, there is there is the dinge. There's some not-so-wholesome portions of that, because if he was really spreading TB to a whole bunch of people in the country, that's kind of a dick move, Mr. Uh, singing Typhoid Mary or whatever. <laughs> Typhoid Mary Brakeman. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to ignore that portion just for the folklore, because you know how we do around here. Folklore is everything. So, hey, do you guys follow us on social media and stuff? You should. Do you like us uh, on whatever platform you listen to us on? You should. Do you get bored when you have nothing else to do after listening to our podcast and go to Spotify and listen to all of our dude check out the songs? Probably. And if you don't, you really should. Yeah, and we would appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you all for listening on another beautiful afternoon. Have a good night. Bye.